morning, Anchor Church. I wish I had an accent, yeah? G'day, church, how are ya? I guess Brian Houston, anybody Brian Houston, Hillsong Church? He's like, good morning, church family. You know, I don't know, it's awesome. I wish I had an accent. Anyway, I don't, sorry. Uh, welcome to Anchor Church. I'm Pastor Carl. What you see is what you get, not much, but welcome anyway. If you're joining us um, and you couldn't make it in here, you're with the kids in the, the room back there. We're blessed to have you back there, letting your kids go wild. We understand, like, do it. Yeah, let them go crazy. If you're in the courtyard and you're watching out there, because we got some of you guys that hang out out there, or if you're online, and I don't blame you this morning, it was hard to get out of bed. The struggle is real, amen? Like, I, I had two major fights this morning. Number one, the fight just to get out of bed. And secondly, the fight to get out of the hot water shower. So it's been a rough day for me already. I covet your prayers uh, to be here. But thanks for uh, putting up with us this morning. Hey, a couple things for you quickly as we get involved. And we greet you and thank you for coming to Anchor Church, Kaneohe, Alaska. It is that kind of a morning. <laughs> Uh, um, I want you to take advantage of this, the card that you sat on. Maybe you already did already last week. That's great. We got a stack of these cards. This is the results from prayer and fasting. When we actually, as a church, decided, let's dig in. Let's lean into Jesus a little bit more. Let's listen to, to what God's speaking in our lives. For three weeks, we cut out a bunch of foods and social media and different, depending on where you were at, things you were fasting from. Said, God, I want to hear you deeper and more clearly. God actually showed up, and that's how incredible God is, and we received a stack already, but we just want to celebrate with you in the results that, that God did in your life, and I, I just think it's a it's, it's terrible responsibility on our, our part when we pray, and we seek God, we seek his face, and he shows up, and we never say thank you, and I think this is just our way of going, thank you, God, you really showed up, you're good, that's why we come back week after week, day after day, to dig in your word, you're worthy, and we just got to give credit where credit is due. So make sure you fill that out if you can. Um, if you had something good, drop it in the bucket at the end of service. We just want to collect them and we want to rejoice with you. Um, with that, I want to dig into the book of James again. Are you guys enjoying the book of James so far? I, I do suggest go read ahead. There's only five chapters in the book of James. You can read right through it in half an hour, but it's a kind of book where you it's hard to read straight through it because you stop on every other verse and you're like, whoa, heavy, speaking to me. It's really good. Remember this, okay? As you read James and as I preach to you, I don't want you to get the wrong message. I don't want you to think like, oh, this is, this is someone that knew Jesus and they're, they're, they're preaching good stuff about Jesus and, and about the life of Christianity. The life of Christianity that James is talking about is from a different perspective than anybody else in Scripture ever had. When you read the New Testament, James is actually the earliest book that was written, the closest to Jesus himself being here living on earth. It, it was written about 10 to 12 years after Jesus had come to earth, died, resurrected, and he went back to heaven. So it's only like about a decade later. So it's fresh in James's mind. It comes earlier than all the, the, the four books we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, those guys hung out with Jesus. They were buddies with him. They were disciples, apostles. You read the book of First and Second Peter. He was close to the Lord as well, to Jesus as well. But remember that James literally grew up in the same house as Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Like, he was the younger brother of Jesus. That he literally, um, I mean, just think about this. That he would wake up in the morning and he would eat cereal with Jesus. Oh, hey, cereal, how's it going, Jesus? You know, he would get, grab your backpack, let's go to school together. Oh, all right, like, like he was literally in the same household. So the, the kind of message that James is preaching to us is from a guy that knew him intimately. But here's the catch. He didn't believe he really was the son of God until after Jesus died and then came back from the dead. Because that'll get your attention, won't it? Like, I saw my brother die. I'm sad. Funeral, the whole deal. Like, hey, I'm back. What? Like, okay. James finally got it. He's like, wait, you really are the son of God. And I grew up with you, and I saw you teach, and you did some miracles, and I just wasn't sure. Maybe God's strong in your life, but there's no way you could be the son of God. When James understood as his own brother from that unique perspective that no one else in scripture has, you really are the Messiah. You are the anointed one, the redeemer, the savior of, of all of mankind. Oh, my gosh. And when James was in, when he, when he got it, he was in with both feet. He was all in. He was willing to. He, later on in AD 62, he actually was martyred. He died for believing in Jesus. They said, hey, you deny your faith in Jesus. No way. Do whatever you want to me because I believe he is the way, the truth, and the life. So this is, you're getting this. 
from this heavy, passionate heart, this perspective that says, that's my older brother. And even though I didn't believe in him until, until he resurrected, like I, I now believe in him 100%. But can you imagine, because scripture tells us that when Jesus resurrected, that for 40 days before he ascended back into heaven, he was walking around to prove to everybody, like, I really did this. I'm really here. Here's me and giving my last great words and all this stuff. Can you imagine what James must have been feeling at that point? Like he came back and he must have just been like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so sorry. You're my brother and I doubted you, but here you are. You are the son. He, James must have wanted to just tail Jesus around for those 40 days and just go, I'm so sorry, bro. I missed my opportunity all those years. We grew up and I would make fun of you behind your back. And I, you know, I just never believed you're, you really are who you say you are. I just, I need as much of you as I can. For 40 days, James must have been just trying to prove like, I'm so sorry, brother. I love you. You really are the son of God. He must have been just soaking up as much of Jesus as he could. And so when you read James, realize that backstory, that intensity, that brotherly love, and him trying to make up in 40 days for lost time for all those years that he grew up with him and he didn't acknowledge him. And now James is like, I'm going to step up and I'm going to be the, the lead. He was basically the lead pastor at the Church of Jerusalem. The book of James is written about in the time frame of about halfway through the book of Acts. As the church was under persecution, the government was coming after them, people were getting scared, they were running away into other parts of the world, and James is like, I'm going to write a letter to everybody. I'm going to let them know, guys, we got a mission here. Jesus was really who he says he was, and if we call ourselves believers and Christians, they'd only been called the word Christian for like a couple years at this point. Like just a couple years in the town of Antioch, people came up with the name Christian to call these guys because they're like, they're doing their own thing. They have this own belief system. It's different. They're all following that guy, Jesus Christ. Let's call them Christians. And so it was a new terminology. So James is like, I'm writing this letter and I'm going to hit him hard. Only five chapters. And you know this, the Bible is never written in chapters, right? This is a letter that James is just going, I'm just writing to all believers everywhere, Christians everywhere. We better live our faith. If we're going to say we're Christians and we're going to listen to the goodness of Jesus and his words and his, his, his thoughts and plans for our life, then we better look like it because we're going out there into all the world to show people. And if they don't see Jesus in us, then something's wrong with the way we're living. So there's strong words from James because he's passionate about this thing. So I want you to catch all of this in the backstory. And he's saying, I listened to what Jesus spoke. I grew up with the guy. I saw that everything that he taught about, that if we would do what he said, it worked in our lives. And the message is for us today here at Anchor Church, 2,000 years later, is that the same words and message and heart of Jesus, it worked for those people 2,000 years ago, and it will work in your life today. But the catch is this, you have to actually do what the word is telling you to do. And the whole book of James is that, and what we're going to read today is about listening and doing. And it focuses around this verse, James 1.22, part of our reading today. We're going to finish the, the chapter, chapter 1 in James today, where it says this, don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Now, just to get you in the right frame of mind and be thinking this way and be, be working this out in your life, would you interactive with me right now? Would you turn to someone next to you right now and just tell them this, look them in the eye and tell them, be a doer, not just a listener. Be a doer, not just a listener. Come on, say it out loud to somebody. Speak it out loud to somebody next to you. I don't care if you know him or not. Just say it. Just like, hey, he's making me, so be a doer, not a listener. Like, just say it. And if no one told you because they're, like, scared of you or you didn't shower or something, just tell it to someone in return anyway. Return the favor. Be a doer, not a listener. Here's a reason now. Because you guys are like, oh, that's so dumb. I hate when the pastor makes me say that stuff in church. Well, there's a, there's a reason behind this thing that we're trying to get this into us today because words matter. Amen? We're going to dig into James chapter 3 in a couple weeks, and we're going to talk about the power of the tongue, and we're going to read about it a little bit here today. But words matter. And you can be sitting here and be going, oh, yeah, no, that makes sense. I received that. That's good in my life. But when you speak something out, it does something for you because it, it basically holds you accountable to like, I'm saying this, I'm believing this, I'm speaking this out. So our words matter. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But the, the thing is, we got to not just speak the words. We got to not just listen to the word. We got to actually do what we say. I stand at the back door every Sunday and Friday night for Friday night service. 
And I love to just like greet everybody. I love to say bye to you guys. All right, every every week you guys are like, hey, see you guys, have a good week, God bless you, whatever. But I'm just trying to get to know your names and your faces and just I'm thankful for this church family that we have. So I, I, I like it. I, I dig standing in the back door and I wish I could have long conversations with everybody, but I just don't have time. But it's just cool to see you guys on the way out the door. But I love this. I love when people have kind words to say and they're like, hey, pastor, thanks. That was a really good word today. Hey, I really, I really liked what you preached. That was a really good message. So I take those words, and I'm like, wow, thank you. Thank you for noticing. I'm trying to get better at what I do. I'm trying to be a good pastor, a good preacher. And it's like, it helps build my confidence and my self-worth. Like, hey, thank you. I received those compliments. That's a blessing. But did you know how much better it is to not just hear on the way out the door, like, hey, good word today. Like, I, I heard that was really good. It's so much better when I hear this the next week when you come out and you go, hey, the word you preached last week was really good, and I actually went home and I tried it. In other words, the word of God that you preached, I actually did it. I put it into action, and guess what? It worked out really well, and I'm blessed, and glory to God. So thank you for sharing last week's word. Do you guys see the difference? Because if you tell me, thank you, good word, today, all I know is for sure you listen to me, and that's cool. But I love it when it's a work week later and people go, hey, I listen. I was a listener but I was also a doer. And guess what? It worked out in my life. It changed my life. It's really, really good. So all that to say, you guys don't have to say anything to me out the door today. Like, just like walk by me and ignore me. Just don't say anything. It was good. But next week, you can come back and go, hey, I did what you said, and it worked in my life. Amen? Because it doesn't matter, like, if you just heard it. We all can hear something. But it's, so if, if you're here today and you're going, hey, last week you, you preached on trials and temptations, I listened, I applied it, it works, praise God. I'll take that one. The other ones, you can just ignore me. It's cool, I'm, I'm good, I'm good with that one. But the difference is what James is saying is, and be a doer, not a listener. Let's dig into the book of James in chapter one, verse 19 today. And here's why I made you guys say it to one another. Be a doer and not just a listener. Is because words matter. And the first thing that James is gonna point out to us in this verse is that we need to, communicate well. Write that in your notes. There's a place for you to write that in. Communicate well. If you want to be someone that's a real Christian, that you're actually living your faith, it has to do with communication. James 1.19 says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now, I want to camp out on this verse a little bit. It's a short verse, but it's super powerful, especially the part that says slow to speak. Because how many of you guys know that's easier for men than it is for women, right? Slow to speak. Like, like they've done scientific studies that say men use about 7,000 words a day and women speak about 20,000 words a day. Like, it's just like, that's how we are. Like, men, anybody men say amen to that? Amen. Not many of you said it because we're few words, right? We don't say it. I'll just nod. Yeah. And women are like, how dare you? But it's the reality. You ask, you ask a woman, like, how was your day? And they're like, well... It started off at Macy's because there was a sale, and I was with my friend Cheryl. You remember Cheryl, right? We met last week. She, she was wearing a blue dress, and I had my pantsuit on, and we went to lunch afterwards, and I had a coffee. She had a tea, and, and our food was undercooked, and this and that, and then on the way home, there was traffic, but I moved to the other lane. I'm so glad they put in that lane, and da da da, da. You ask a man, how was your day, and what did men say? Good. One word. Even the women knew, right? One word. Good. <laughs> Good. My day was good. So here's what James is saying. Practical stuff. Hey, you want to be a doer of the word, not just a listener? Hey, you need to be someone that communicates well, look like Jesus, and sometimes you don't need to say too much. Be slow to speak. You don't need to have an opinion unless you actually have understanding. But we just want to talk. So women, you got to give us this one because this is the one time we're actually kind of better at it than you are. Everything else you win. We get it. But give us this one. Be slow to speak because we only use 7,000 words and use 20,000. That's just how it is. But here's what I would have to say that, that I see in this with James about communicating well. Write this down is be present. That's so important right there. Be present. When you communicate with other people, when you talk with other people, in other words, it's this. He said, be slow to speak, but quick to listen. Be engaged in the conversation. Ask questions. It shows that you care, that you're listening, that you're aware of what's going on, and that you're trying to understand 
Be engaged means your, your eyes, right? Lock eyes with other people. Look them in the eye when you're talking to them and you're listening to them. These are just small hints that I see in, in, in James's heart as he's saying, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Have your eyes, your, your ears, and your heart attuned and attentive to what, what other people are going through, to, to show that you really care. Because here's James going, here's what I noticed from my big brother Jesus. Man, when he would come around, he took time for people. He engaged in people. He was present in whatever situation he was in. He wasn't thinking about the past, and he wasn't thinking ahead to the future. He was right there in that moment, and he took people where they're at. Remember that Jesus was the guy when everybody was all around him, and all the little kids are running up to him because little kids just love Jesus. They knew something about this guy. He was real, that Jesus would be down there talking to the little kids, hanging out. And the other apostles, James probably too, was like, man, get these kids out of here. They're, they're, they're bothering him. Get them out of here. And Jesus is like, hey, no, let the little ones come unto me. Like he goes, you guys all need to have the faith of these little kids. That Jesus was a guy that James is, he's talking about here is he's like, be present in whatever situation. This is how you communicate well. Here's another powerful word when it comes to uh, engaging with other people and communicating well. You ready for this word? Story. It's not in the notes. Write that down. Story. Everybody has a story. See, sometimes we want to be, this is me. I'm guilty of this. Cars go driving by, cut me off. You guys know how I am in traffic already. But I'm too quick to assume and to have an opinion and to have words or thoughts in my head towards that person when the reality is I don't know that person's story. It could be that there's a loved one that they, that they know that's in danger or hurt or something, and they're just trying to get to them. I don't know that. I don't know the story of what's going on in the car. Like, I don't know. Like, when sometimes we see, like, church or somewhere like this, I see kids that are, like, just bouncing off the wall, and they're just naughty, and they're not, they're not obeying, and, and, and they're giving their parents lip and trouble and all this stuff. And I so quickly want to just assume and have an opinion and go, hey, hey, calm down, right, to the kid. But the reality is I don't know the story. You listen to the story, you find out, oh, they don't have a father figure in the home. They're not getting the discipline and the... And the, the what they need from both parents. Mom's busy trying to keep up. Uh, maybe the husband's deployed. Maybe mom's just trying to like get a handle on life and it's just overwhelming. And we sometimes want to just uh, have words and speak to something. James is going, hey, 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 slow down. Be quick to listen. What's the story? Because maybe that little kid just needs a hug or a little bit of encouragement or something, not a scolding. You guys get what I'm after? James is brilliant because he listened to Jesus. He saw this example in Jesus. So be present with people. Romans 12, Paul writes, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think that you know it all. You know that sometimes some of the best conversations I've had are the ones where I don't need to talk. I don't need to give my opinion. Some of the best conversations I've had, honestly, are the times when someone just needed to vent. And they're just like, hey, you're a pastor. I'm just going through some rough stuff right now. And my decision right there is just zip my lip. Is just be there and just listen and let them talk. Some of the greatest conversations I walk away with, I'm like, wow, that was so good. That was so powerful. It helped that person so much. I didn't even say anything. I didn't let my words get in the way. Slow to speak, right? Sometimes you just need to let people vent. Sometimes you just need to listen. Sometimes you just need to be the shoulder to cry on, like few words. And James, he's hitting us. He goes, you want to look like Christians? Practice this kind of stuff. Be slow to speak. Some of those conversations that are the best in my life are the ones I didn't even say anything. And on that same note, think about this. What you don't say actually says a lot. What you don't say says a lot. And what I mean by that is the times you're just quiet and you're listening. But also, in communicating well with other people, it's not always about the verbal because I can tell you I love you in a way that my body English, my eyes, and everything else does not portray that I love you. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like one of these, like, yeah, I love you. Right? Look at my whole posture. You're just like, yeah, right. You're so, that doesn't mean anything. You roll your eyes, look at your watch. Sure, yeah, I love you so much. <laughs> right? There's ways that we can communicate that what we don't say actually says a lot. So be aware of that. How many of you husbands and wives, you're guilty. You're busted on that one. You know that it's all in the tone. It's all in the eyeballs. It's all in the facial expression. It's like, yeah, I'm listening. 
right? And you're like, wait, are you really? Like, what's going on? You're mocking me right now, right? There's, there's power in the stuff that we don't say. Like, there's a lot of power, and we don't think about this stuff as the unspoken expressions in the communication. I can control kids in the supermarket line when they're acting up, and they're trying to steal candy bars, and they're barking at their mom and all that. I can control them with no words. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, the mom's not looking, and I don't have to say a word, but I just give them one of these. Behind the back, and the kid's like, and he walks out of the store. There's so much that we can say without saying it. You guys get what I'm saying here? So here's James just going like, guys, be real Christians. Know that there's power in the body, English, and the eye, but communicate well. Here's another thing to write down is lead with love and give more grace. Don't lead with your opinion. Don't lead with your mouth. Lead with love and give more grace. Have patience with people. Remember your own flaws. Remember the kind of grace and patience that God shows you and share that a little bit. Lead with love. Assume the best in people. Give them the benefit of the doubt. You might be slow to speak, but here's how you also speak in love is, I'm going to be slow to speak, but when I speak, it's going to be helpful. It's going to be edifying. I'm here with my words to build you up, not blow you up, right? It's like, I'm going to be slow to speak, but there's a time when your words are very necessary that you need to be honest with people. And if you have a disagreement with someone, it's not good to be silently passive on the side and holding a grudge. You will blow up someday. But there's, there's wisdom to actually saying, hey, when I talk, I'm going to talk and I'm going to be honest. In our staff meetings, this is kind of a, an unspoken word, is that we have this, this, kind of like, this kind of law that we all go by, this rule. It says, in our staff meetings, when we're discussing stuff and it might get heated and we might have different opinions and we want to strive to work it out, is that, we're all going to speak, and we're going to talk our mind, and we're going to work through whatever problem so we can walk away, agree to disagree, but still be friends, still love one another. And so we just have this rule that says no meetings after meetings. If we're going to have a meeting about something, let's be honest. Let's use our words. Let's get it out. Let's talk it through. We can be angry at each other, but let's work it out so that there's not like, well, we had that meeting, but let me talk to you in the parking lot separately because I hate Pastor Carl. He's so mean, right? No, we don't need that. James is saying, communicate well. Be slow to speak, but when you speak, make sure you're speaking honestly and and helpfully to other people. Ephesians 4.26 says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Just really quickly, just understand this. Anger in itself is just an emotion. It's not sin. We all get angry. It's when we let it control us and we act on it and we become doers of anger, right? that something starts to go wrong. So he goes, don't sin by letting anger control you and don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. See, anger is an, is an emotion. It's not sin until we actually act on it. Jesus got angry. It says so in, the, in, in that one time when they were, they were, the money changers were in the temple and he's like, my house is not to be a, a place of, of, of commerce and, and people like selling out money and all of this stuff. So he makes a whip and he like turns over the table and he's all, he's all mad. He's mad at sin. So we can get angry, angry at the right things. But when we let it control us and we lash out, it's saying, be careful there. Lead with love. Have grace. James is saying, be slow to get angry. Here's two words that you ought to know the difference of. Responding versus reacting. We're supposed to respond, meaning I've thought through, it's thoughtful, like someone did something to make me mad, I'm feeling anger as an emotion, but I'm going to respond properly because I thought about it and I want to I look like Jesus, versus reacting, which is all emotional, spontaneous, and the words fly out of your mouth too fast, and you say something that you can't take back and can't put back in. We had to learn to be good responders and not quick reactors. And James goes on in the next verse, in verse 20. Talking about anger, he says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and the evil in your lives. And here's my second point that I see in this passage today is we got to empty out the wrong stuff. James is saying, you want to be a good doer, not just a listener? you got to empty out the wrong stuff. Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. Words like filth and evil and wickedness and sin are sketchy words when you come to church. You're like, ah, I don't want to hear those words. They sound so like, like making me feel guilty and beating me up. And look, I never want to be the kind of pastor that you come to church and you just feel put down and condemned and me pointing out all of your sins. Like that's, I don't think we need that in church. Here's why I think, I, I don't think that. I think that we walk in and every one of us in this room are very aware of the sins that are going on in our own lives, right? 
You guys, would you guys agree with that? I don't need the pastor pointing it out to me. Like, let's read the word of God, but I'm very aware of the sins I'm dealing with. And so James is basically saying, away from all the churchy words of, of filth and dirt and wickedness and evil, put it like this. You need to get rid of the stuff that is not good for you. You know the stuff you struggle with that's temptations, that's bad habits, that's bad attitudes. And bottom line is, empty out the wrong stuff. That's what James is saying. Hey, you guys want to look like Christians? You want to light up the world for Jesus? You want to make a difference? Be sure that on the daily, you're just emptying out the wrong stuff. So what is the wrong stuff in our lives? Well, let me give you four R words. It makes it easy for you to remember right now. Here's the first one is recognize. Recognize what's dirty in your life. If you're going to empty out what's wrong in your life, and James says it's filthy, it's rubbish, it's no good for you, you got to recognize that. Because too many of us, sometimes we're living with stuff that's not good for us in our lives, but we're so used to it, we don't even, we don't even see it anymore. We don't even recognize it. We can't identify it. You ever walked into a room and something smelled bad, and you're just instantly on a mission to find out what smelled bad? Anybody? Like, you're like, ooh, what is that? Ooh, is that, is that me? Like, what? what is, and then you're just on the hunt. I'm like... I'm a guy that smells everything. I don't know if anybody in here is like that. It might be because I'm Filipino or something. Like, we smell everything before we eat it, touch it. Like, I'm just into smelling stuff. And I'm also guilty of being the guy that, like, oh, this smells bad. Smell it. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's bad. Oh, man, that's so bad. Oh, no one should smell this. It's terrible. And I'm like, I'm guilty. I don't know why. But I'm all about smelling stuff. But there's sometimes in, in our lives, we walk into a room, we're like, oh, what stinks? I used to live in the city in California when I was going through Bible college. And the town was Chino. Anybody ever heard of Chino, California? Now, Chino is a dairy town. That means there's tons of cows in the town. And it smelled, but not like milk. It smelled like manure, right? The whole town of Chino. Anybody from Chino? You know, you can, can I hear amen? Amen. Anybody? Yeah, it smells. I'm sorry. I live there. I'm just saying it smells. So when I first moved there, I'm like, why does it always stink? Oh, this is a dairy town. A lot of farms. There's cows. They're like, it just smells. After a little while, though, you know what happens? I don't smell it anymore until friends would come in and visit me. They're like, right, your town stinks. I'm like, it does? I don't know. Like, I'm so used to it. Here's what I think sometimes in our lives. We get so used to the sin and the habits and the stuff that we're doing. We're so used to it, we don't even recognize that it's bad for us anymore. It's totally slowing us down, and we're wondering why. How come I can't grow in my faith? How come I'm not a better Christian? And God's going, that stuff stinks in there. See, the first thing is to empty out the wrong stuff. James is saying, get rid of the filth and the evil in your lives. You got to recognize what's dirty. Answer the question, what stinks in my life? And when you see it and you smell it, there's a second R word, repent. Real simple, repent and turn to God. Because the word repent, it sounds like a big churchy word. It literally is just a directional change. All it is is I'm walking in this direction towards my stink, towards my stuff that's wrong in my life. And the word repent is simply turn around and walk towards God. Just like get rid of that stuff, dump the trash, take out the rubbish, and just walk in this direction. Walk towards God. Repent and turn towards God. That just means surrender. That's the whole key to Christianity in that word right there as you surrender. You let go of the, the rubbish and you turn and face God. So recognize what's dirty. Repent and turn to God. Now here's the third word that's super important is renounce your old ways. Renounce the old ways. What does that mean? The word renounce simply means this, to refuse to abide by any longer. In other words, you're, you're walking this way and it stinks and you turn around, you repent. I got to walk away back this way towards God. But then here's a problem. Sometimes that stuff is calling your name and it's so tempting that you're like, well, maybe I'll just go back to it this one time. The word renounce is saying, no, I refuse to abide by that any longer. You draw the line in the sand and say, I'm never crossing that boundary again. And this word renounce is so important. Because you'll just be in the cycle of like, oh, come back to God, go back to sin. Come back to God, go back to sin. Until you actually renounce and you start up set, start setting up boundaries in your life. You start putting spiritual disciplines in your life. I'm going to get into the word and prayer as soon as I wake up in the morning just to start me off so I'm walking strong. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to get the right kind of friends in my life, and I probably got to cut some of the wrong friends out of my life. I got to like renounce. I have to decide. I'm not crossing that line ever again. I've turned away. I see. I recognize. I've repented. But now I'm renouncing. I'm never going back there. Proverbs 4.23 says this. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. That you would set up systems in your life to discard you from ever going back. Now, here's the fourth R word. So important is repeat 
the process, that it's a daily process. You have to repeat it because every day you may have walked away from those temptations and you're feeling good, but the devil is always going to throw something new at you, some new temptation, some new, new opportunity to sin. My friend Scott Williams, he's a preacher, and he said this, new levels, new devils. New levels, new devils. Every day, you're going to have to repeat this repenting. Take out the rubbish in your life, the stuff that's slowing you down. It's basically, it's just wrong stuff. It's not producing any good fruit in your life. There's terrible consequences. Get rid of it, and then you got to do this every single day. That even Jesus had to do this on the regular. How do we know that? Luke 4.13 says, When the devil had finished tempting Jesus... For 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus fasted and prayed, right? But the devil was on his case, was trying to tempt him, trying to tell him, I'll give you power, come my way, deny yourself, do all of this stuff. And Jesus, you guys know, he rebuked him with scripture, with truth, right? Truth kills lies. He came at the devil, he goes, no, 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 no. He renounced it. But then look what it says. It says, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. In other words, you can say no to all of that stuff, but you have to repeat it daily because the devil's going to throw something new at you all the time. So how do we empty the wrong stuff? Recognize, repent, renounce, and repeat. Keep taking out the trash, otherwise it's going to build up again. And James goes on and he says, well, what's the cure to it then? Because it's not just enough to get rid of the junk stuff. We have to fill up on what's good and, and what we need to fill up on. And, and this is my third point is fill up on Jesus. That's it. That's just fill up on Jesus. Fill up on Jesus, the, the ideas, the teachings, his word, his kingdom. Fill up on Jesus. And look what it says right there in verse 21. Hum, it says, take out the trash, the filth, and the evil, but humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it alone has a power to save your souls. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the written word of God. He's talking about the ideas, the direction, the plans of God. But, but Jesus, in many places, is called the word. And look at this word right there that it uses. This word right here is accept. Now, that word in the original Greek means something a little bit different than we translate it to in English. It means accept. Because accept sounds like this. Hey, Carl, I got a gift for you. Oh, thanks. I receive it. But the word accept really here, this is what it means. It's way deeper. It means to take a hold of, to receive completely, to grasp to fill up on. It means like to absorb. Like it's a heavier word than just like, oh, accept. It's basically saying it's becoming you. You're receiving it in. You're grabbing it with both hands and you're just embracing it and you're holding on. So he's saying, hold on to the word, the word of God through the Bible, but hold on to Jesus. And, and, and that's going to replace all the gunk that you're getting out of your life. Here's what I learned about the Bible growing up reading the Bible is the more the Bible pours into me, the more that it pours out of me. The more that the word of God is pouring into me, the more that Jesus and his Holy Spirit is coming into me, the more that it just leaks out of me in my everyday life. And so in, in other words, for us to get rid of all the junk in our life, we have to stay full completely of Jesus. And when we do, it pours out. Here's, here's James writing this. James, the brother of Jesus, nowhere in all five chapters does he directly quote Jesus. You read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the red letters in your Bible and those gospel books is them quoting exactly, here's Jesus' words. That's why they're in red. But James, nowhere. He doesn't quote, but you know what he does? He says everything in this book that sounds exactly like the same heart and the same message that he learned from, from his brother Jesus, from the Sermon on the Mount, from the book of Proverbs and God's wisdom. What he's doing is this, is he's filling up so much on knowing Jesus that it's just naturally leaking out in his everyday message in the words that he's writing here. There's, there's a word that I like to think about when I, when I think about filling up on Jesus and filling up on the word of God. And it has to do with steak. Anybody in here like to barbecue? Who likes to barbecue? I just barbecued yesterday. had some of the greatest steak. Man, all the men in the room, we love to barbecue, right? We had to take pride in getting the meat just right and cooking it well. Like when the family is all happy, you're just like, yeah, that's right. I'm the man. Men. Play with fire, fire good, right? <laughs> Cook meat, we win. You know, it's just like, it's simple, it's wired into us. But um, we're bummed when we don't get the steak just right and our steak comes out looking like this. Anybody ever seen that? Look at how terrible that looks. Dry, overcooked, there's like no sauce hanging out. Like some of you are just mad looking at that picture right now. You're just like, whoa, oh, I'm disgusted with that, Pastor Carl. Get that out of my side. I wouldn't even dip that in ketchup. Like that's ugly. <laughs> That's dry steak. But here's what we're really after. Look at this one. 
Oh, somebody just got hungry in this room here today, right now. Because you know the difference between that one? That sucker was marinated for a long time. And here's the word that James is after when he says, accept and take hold of and embrace and fill up on. You know what he's saying? Marinate in Jesus. Like marinate in the Bible. Like let it work into you. Yeah, that's good that you repented and turned away and you emptied out. But if you don't fill it up, it's going to come back again. So here's what we need to do. Marinate. Is that a good word? Say marinate out loud. That is a delicious word right there. Marinate. And James is saying, marinate in the word of God. Say, full of Jesus. Here's what Jesus himself said about his own words in Matthew 7. These words that I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. These are foundational words. These are words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, there's a word, marinate, right? Then you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. The rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house because it was fixed to the rock. But if you use my words in Bible studies, but don't work them into your life, here's what James is saying, right? If you're just a listener, but not a doer, because if you don't work them into your life, then you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in, the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards or like all those houses on the North Shore right now. Yeah, it's crazy. They're on the beach and huge waves are coming and wind and all that. Man, we need to be praying for those people. The problem is they built their house on sand. You know, it's like, it's a bummer. I feel bad for them, but it's like, ah, oh, it's it's because you're right on, you wanted the beachfront property. You got the the ocean front, you're literally in the ocean. Sorry. But it's, I mean, it's bad, right? But here's the deal. It's, Jesus is just saying, man, if you, if you actually listen to my words and you live it and act it out, then whatever storms are coming your way, whatever the enemy is going to try to throw at you, whatever the world is going to crash down around you, you're solid. You're built on solid rock. He says, so, so listen, fill up on Jesus, work him into your entire Life. What James is saying is Christianity is a lifestyle, not a hobby. And Christianity is for you to live in every single day. It's not something, well, I go to church for my little fix. I'm a good person. I got the warm fuzzies, and now I'm out on my own all week long. He's saying this. Work the words, Jesus. Work my words into your life. Work them in. They're foundational. The storm's going to come along. You're going to be still standing. But you got to work it into your life. Now, don't fill up on Jesus only when your faith is running low. Because some of us were like that. Mm, I kind of go to church. I, I read the word, but it's been a while. Like I'm not super tight with God, but he knows I'm there. And, and pretty soon I'm going to refill up on him again. You start running down your faith, start like, like getting lazy and like filling up on God and not living 100% for him. But you're like, nah, eventually I'm going to come back to church and, and I'll get it all together. Don't risk running your tank down to empty, but you need to stay full of Jesus. Because some of you guys, the way that you drive normally, well, here's all my, where's all my responsible people in the room? That the, the gas tank goes down about halfway, and you refill it already. Come on, you're good. You treat your car well. You put in supreme gas. Right? There's a few of you that are good. But the rest of you, the e-light comes on, and all you think is, ooh, challenge. <laughs> Dare. Oh, we'll see who's empty. Right? And you go for it. You show, I'll show you who's empty right now. There's still, there's still tank, there's gas in the tank, right? And we ride E like there's no tomorrow. We challenge ourselves, right? And sometimes I think our faith is like that. Is it we're like, no, I'll just wear it down. I don't need to be super cool. I don't need to be in the word. I don't, I'm good. God knows I'm there. But listen, all it takes is one emergency situation and you're going to find, oh, shoot, I wish I would have filled my tank up, right? With gas, like, like oh, no, like, like there's an emergency and the roads are washed out and I'm on E, I don't have time to, oh, man, I'm in trouble right now, right? Or we're in Hawaii and like a tsunami hits and you're like, everybody needs to go drive and fill up. And there's like 800 people at the gas station because they were all riding E like you guys were, right? Think about this in your life, that you're running your faith down low to empty, but nah, I'm still good. Like, yeah, I know I haven't been in the word. I haven't been, like, filled up. I've been praying too much. I'm not, I'm not that strong right now as a Christian, but I got this. I'll wait. I'll wait a couple more days or weeks or months or whatever. Then I'll be walking with God again. What happens if that day tragedy strikes? What happens if government shutdown happens? Financial things go low. What happens if someone in your family gets diagnosed with cancer or a death happens or a relationship blows up in your face 
And now you don't have the faith levels and the strength in Jesus to deal with that, and it demos your life. See, I believe that whatever problems come along in our lives, the journey that we're on to be driving or to get through this problem to the other side, it's going to take a full tank of Jesus. It's going to take a full tank of being in the word, of the plans of God, of the Holy Spirit in your life. And we can't mess around going like, oh, no, I'll just, I'll just ride this one out. And what James is basically saying is stay full of the word of God. Stay full of Jesus. Now, here's the last point. A couple more verses here in James. He teaches us. He says, here's the key verse for the whole book of James. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. In other words, don't just fill up and like, oh, that's a really good word, but do it. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. You listen to the word and you don't obey. It's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself. In other words, you see what's wrong. You walk away and then you forget what you look like. And basically, he's just giving us a picture of like, thank God for mirrors, right? Because some of us, we wake up in the morning and we're a mess. Let's, let's be honest with ourselves. Like, I look at myself sometimes and I'm like, whoa, thank you that I own a mirror, God. Like, I need to do something about that. My hair is like all whatever. And, and it's like you look at, at yourself in the mirror and you go, clearly something's wrong. I got to do something about that. And James is saying, that's what listening to the word of God is like and knowing Jesus. He points out and he shows you the areas that need help. But then if you don't go do something about it, it's like you look at yourself in the mirror, you walked away totally forgot about it, show up at work, and people are officially scared of you at work, right? You're like, whoa, whoa, what happened to you, man? What happened? Oh, what are you talking about? You forgot to go do something about that. And James is going, don't be that guy. Like, you have to listen to what God's word is doing and saying to you. Then go do something about it. Show the rest of the world Jesus works. He says, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and you do what it says, and then you don't forget what you heard, then God will actually bless you for doing it. Now, this in particular, this verse in verse 25 that says, those that look carefully into the perfect law, he's, he's literally talking to a mindset that was going on that, that he was having to battle in his day and age was all of these people that looked into the word of God, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They studied the word of God. Intellectually, they knew it. They had it memorized. They looked at all the Old Testament, the scrolls and the writings of the prophets, and they're like, man, this is our religious system. We're, we're studying the law. The law is everything to us. We're going to be, be all about the Bible study aspect. He's going, yeah, that's cool. But he's literally writing is saying, if you look carefully into the law that sets you free, but you don't do what it says, and then you forget what you heard, you're going to be missing out on the blessing. So he's trying to combat the Christians of the day who are like, man, Jesus is the way. But these other religious leaders are telling us it's all about the law, and it's all about reading the Bible and studying the, the Bible. And like, what's the real deal? And James is kind of saying both. Yes, study the Bible. Yes, understand scripture and your faith, but you got to go put it into practice. You got to do something about it. I've seen too many Christians get into discussions and disagreements where they're fighting so much over the law and the legalism and the religiosity of knowing God, of actually just knowing about God, and they're not actually knowing God. They're so busy, and this is what James is saying. Be careful. Don't be someone that studies the law, and then all you want to do is prove to other people how much you know about the law or argue the different theologies or, or make such a big deal about the things that don't really matter, you're not even acting out the word of God. You want to argue, you want to criticize, you want to compare, and you want to put people down. The book of Revelation is one of the coolest books in the Bible. It's really hard to understand because we don't understand the prophecy that John saw and what that really looks like. But there's a lot of stuff in the book of Revelation that talks about the end times. And as we're getting closer to Christ's return, what the world's going to look like. But the book of Revelation also says no man knows the time or the hour when Jesus is coming back. But here's the thing. So many of my friends, they study it so much. And they compare it to the day's news and everything. And, and we should. The Bible tells us, look for the warning signs. When you see all these things happen, that means I'm coming back soon. But some of my friends get so caught up in just figuring out when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, which nation is going to war, which leaders are going to rise up, all of that, that they forget that the whole overall encompassing, I guess you could say, message of the book of Revelation is just simply this. Jesus definitely is coming back someday. The world is all going to pass away. Therefore, you, Jesus followers and Christians, need to be about the Father's work, about living your life for him, about bringing as many people as you possibly can into the kingdom before everything is over and we all go up to heaven or some of us go to hell. Like, the whole book is the urgency that's reminding us, hey, be about the business of the kingdom. 
Now, unfortunately, there's just some people, they're just all about the Bible studies, and they're not about actually knowing God. You guys get what I'm saying here? My heart is that I love that we study the Bible and the Word, but James is going, be careful about looking into that, because here's what James really means. Bible studies without Bible living is worthless. Man, the Bible studies without the Bible living is you're, you're, you're almost there, but you're missing it. I don't want to get to heaven and have Jesus come and say to me like, hey, uh, so Carl, what would you do with the life I gave you? Oh, well, I cast out demons in your name, and I, and I, and I preach your word, and we, we did all this stuff, because this is what Jesus says in one part of Scripture. He goes, wow, you did all that stuff and that cool thing, and you did the law and the, all that practice of it, but Jesus says, but I never knew you, man. I never really knew you. You never really obeyed the stuff that I wanted you. You did the stuff that you thought was right, and you were all about studying the word, but you weren't about living the word. I want to be the guy that gets into heaven with the high five from Jesus, like, well done, good and faithful servant. You guys know what I'm talking about? Don't you want to be that person? In the line, you're like, oh, it's judgment day. Jesus is right there. I'm coming up. This is my moment. And Jesus goes, oh, Carl, hey, Carl. I love you, man. Thanks for hanging out with me. Thanks for talking. Thanks for, like, preaching my word. But thank you, Carl, for living out my word. You know what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Good job, sport. Ooh, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Right? We can do that in professional sports. Can't do that on the street. But we can do that in, in like, yeah. I want the high five. I want the chest bump. I want whatever I'm going to get. But I want to be someone that is found doing the word of God, not just listening to the word of God. Can I get an amen for that? Come on, this is, this is real. And then James goes on. He says, if you claim to be religious, now the word religion, don't get hung up on that. What it really translated here is, if you claim to be a worshiper, if you claim to be a follower, a worshiper of Jesus Christ, you worship God. If you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you're only fooling yourself and your religion, your worship is worthless. Bible studies without Bible living is worthless. But he says, pure and genuine religion slash worship in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. It means caring for other people. It means walking your talk. It means living the life of faith. It means doing and not just listening. Let me end with this story really quick. I just heard after the first service is that you guys know how you drive up the driveway here and we have it so that it's like a one-way driveway here so that you're not banging into other people and you come up to the higher split in the road right down here and um, if you go left, it's like a one-way out, and you might crash into someone. Well, the guy I was talking to, he goes, bro, I always go left. I always, I'm sorry, Pastor, but I always go against the flow. And he goes, it's just easier for me to park, so I just turn left when it says go right. He goes, I always do that. He's telling me this morning. I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I always do that. He goes, and this, today, the police officer in his car was right there. He goes, I did it anyway. I went left, and I was like, Oh, okay. He's kind of like one of these kind of punchy guys, right? He's like, I did it anyway, right in front of him. I was like, oh, okay. How'd that go? He goes, well, we were walking out of our car, and we were walking to church, and the officer, of course, told me, hey, man, next time, uh, you got to go the other way. You could cause traffic accident. There's a reason why this is that. You went right against it. And he goes, oh, yeah? Yeah, whatever. And he walked in. He said he gave attitude to our officer, which, by the way, just so you guys know why we bring police officers up here is we just want safety and security on this campus for you and your kids that we know that sometimes churches can become the target of crazy people doing crazy stuff. We just want to let you guys know that we hire officers every single service just to be aware and to protect. So you guys, Anchor Church is a safe place. So that's why you know, like there's not like crime scene going down every week. Like it's actually for your safety and protection. But he gave attitude to this officer. Then he comes into service. And I start preaching about doing and not just listening. And he's like, oh, my gosh, God is talking to me. He said in the middle of the sermon, he got up, he walked out, he found the officer, and he apologized for his attitude and for doing that. He said he actually gave the officer a hug. I don't know if that's true. I got to go verify. But he goes, he gave the guy a hug, and he came back in here, and he goes, hey, Pastor, I'm never going that way again. I get it, man. I want to be a Christian, and I want trying one step at a time just to live. I want to be a doer and not just a listener. Is that a good, good story? Happened just this morning, and if you ever do that again, don't do it again, okay? But anyways, be a doer, not just a listener. That's a word for today from James, the little brother of Jesus Christ. That's a good word, huh? Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for James. We thank you for just um, the authority that he speaks with, his candid nature, the fact that he knew you, Jesus, personally, that he was your little brother. That's so cool. And I, I thank you that he's 
so direct and to the point in telling us how to live better lives. Lord, we want to look good to this world around us. We're definitely not perfect. None of us in here is perfect. But Lord, we just want to do a better job of shining your light and making a difference in this world. We're supposed to, to look like you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that, that this week we'd remember to even put this very message into practice, that this wasn't a good word to listen to. This is a good word to go out there and obey and to, to put into our lives and, and watch it change the world around us. Watch it change us from the inside out. I pray right now if there's anybody in the room here today that you came for whatever reason, this is your first time, maybe you've come a few times before, or maybe you're just here and you've even been to church a lot before, but you've never really connected with Jesus in a real way. And I don't mean that like, oh, I read the Bible and I've been to church. I went to Christian school. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a real honest-to-goodness relationship where you actually surrender to God and say, God, I'm just going to live my life your way. I trust you. It's going to be a step of faith. I'm going to do things a little differently, but I believe you're going to empower me to get, get the job done. And my life is actually going to get better. And if that's you here today, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. In fact, I'm going to pray the words out loud. I'm not going to make you pray them out loud. I want you to take the words that I'm praying and you would own those words and make them your prayer to God here today to say, God, I want to follow you, surrender my life to you. I'm tired of living it on my own and I believe in who you are. And I don't know that much, but Lord, it's enough to know that, that you are God and you want relationship with me and you alone can forgive me of my sins. And if that's you right now and you want to say that prayer to really honestly walk out of this room knowing that you are a Christian child of God, then I'm going to ask you to say this prayer with me. Everybody's eyes are closed and their heads are bowed. Nobody's looking here, but I'm looking because I just want to know who you are if you want to say this prayer, if I have the privilege of leading you in this prayer that's going to change your eternity. And if that's you here today, before we pray this prayer together, me out loud and you quietly, can you just let me know that you want to pray this by lifting your hand right now? Can you just raise your hand right now and say, Pastor Carl, I'm in. I want to just look at your hands. Can you hold them up? No one else is looking, but I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. I got you. I see you. I saw that hand over there. I'm looking around. I just want you to know that you've been seen, that God sees you, that I see you. If you're in the back, uh, the kids' room, or if you're in the courtyard, or if you're online right now, that that you would just acknowledge that I would acknowledge that God acknowledges that you're making this decision. He's going to meet you right where you are. So all those people that raise their hand, you can put them down right now. Would you just pray this prayer with me in your heart? My words, but you make them your words to God. God, I'm here today, and I, I understand, and I acknowledge my need for you. Lord, I want you. I don't know all that entails, but I get the feeling that it's maybe Christianity isn't what I thought it was. It's not all about religiosity and rules and regulations. It's more just about surrendering my life and letting you do what you need to do in my life. So God, I'm just telling you right now, I want to follow you. I believe what your son Jesus did to come to this earth, to die on the cross, to forgive me of my sins and to raise from the dead, to prove that that he had victory over death itself, but also I have victory over the sin in my life because of you. So God, I'm telling you right now, from here on out, I choose you, I follow you, surrender to you. Lord, I pray that you would help me and you would guide me, that you would make me a new creation, as your word says, and that, Lord, I have the hope of heaven to look forward to when I die for all of eternity. I get to be with you and your family. Lord, thank you for loving me and forgiving me right now as I called out to you. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Can we praise God for those people right now? Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for your family expanding. That's so good.